Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So today we're in week one of our sermon series called You Don't Have to Be Perfect. And what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks is we are going to be getting into talking about um, some of the most influential people of the faith, you know, people whom God used to change the world, but, but not to lift them up to celebrate their accomplishments, which is what we normally do. No, instead, we're going to take a moment and, and get into just how imperfect these great leaders of the faith really were. And the reason we're doing this is to make it very, very clear. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out to follow and to do great things. So to get into this series today, we're going to be talking about Abraham. And what you need to know about Abraham in a nutshell is that according to the Apostle Paul, Abraham was considered to be a man of great faith. So much so that according to a very complex argument that Paul gives in Galatians chapter 3, Abraham actually shows all Christians everywhere what it looks like to live and be saved by faith. Then in the rest of the New Testament, you'll find that Abraham is a man who was held in high regard as the patriarch of the Jewish people or the man whom God chose to use to start his plan to bring about the salvation and the restoration of all things. Or to quote Ricky Bobby here, Abraham was kind of a big deal. And for you four people who get that, you're welcome. (laughs) But what happens when you look really closely at the story of Abraham? What you're going to find is this man of great faith, and he was a man of great faith, also struggled with a whole lot of doubts. He was a human being just like you and I. Or let me give you just a taste of these doubts that he wrestled with as he lived in relationship with God. So according to the book of Genesis, God shows up to this man, Abraham, and he calls him and his family to move to the land of Canaan. Because not only was God going to give him this particular land, but his, his promise was to make him a great nation, to give him a son, make him a great nation, a nation who would then go on and bless the entire world. So of course... When God shows up, Abraham responds, and at the age of 75, he packs up all of his belongings, all of his family, and he moves south. But as soon as he gets to the land of Canaan, things get a little rocky. So this happens. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. Or as soon as Abraham arrives in this this land that God has promised him, a famine strikes. And for us, a famine doesn't seem like that big a deal. But in the ancient world, it was the worst case scenario. Famines could take out thousands of people. So what Abraham does is instead of trusting God in that place to take care of him, in that moment when things got a little rocky, what does he do? He does what we all do. He takes matters into his own hands, and immediately he moves to Egypt. And usually when you take matters into your own hand, things don't work out very well. And that's exactly what happens here. It gets really funny, really weird, really fast. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me 
but they will live, but they will let you live. Say to them, you are my sister so that I may go, it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared on your account. <laughs> How hot do you have to be for someone to see you and kill your husband immediately? You guys don't find that funny? I mean, that's what's going on here. How hot do you have to be for this to happen? So Abraham knows exactly what's going on. And and by the way, that's exactly what happens. Um, As soon as they get to Egypt, they see the beauty of this woman. And this happens. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. By the way, Abram and Abraham are the same person. I hope you guys can see that. He had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female slaves, female donkeys and camels. Or what I want you guys to notice here is that because of the doubt that Abraham had, he finds himself in this little predicament where his wife is now married to the most powerful man in the world. You guys see that? Interesting, right? Another instance of Abraham doubting happens in Genesis 15 and 16. And what's going on in these two chapters is that even though God has promised Abraham a son, Abraham still has some pretty serious doubts. Or because he and his wife are getting older, right? We started out at 75. Now, we don't know for sure how those ages work in the Old Testament. We know he's pretty old and he's getting older. And so he doubts that God is actually going to be able to keep this promise. So what God does, which is what God oftentimes does in the Bible, is he doesn't get mad. He shows up to reassure him that he's going to keep his promise. He says, or it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Or, hey, I got this. I promised it to you. I'm going to keep my promise. But what Abraham does here is even though the creator of the universe just showed up to him and told him that he's going to be this great nation, I've got this, he says to him. This is how Abraham responds. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. Or God, I know you've promised to give me a child, but I don't have a child and I'm getting older and I'm having a hard time believing that you're going to be able to pull this off, which is logical, right? It's logical. He's not thinking out of the realm here. This is a logical thing to kind of think, to which God responds. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue, your very own child will be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and count the stars if you were able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Or God to reassure Abraham that he made this promise, is he going to keep it? He takes him out under the night sky and he says, hey, look up here. Try to count all those stars up there. Yeah, your descendants are going to be so many that they're going to be as many as the stars in the sky. You won't be able to count them. And so what Abraham does in that moment is he finally comes to his senses and he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Or it looks like in this moment he's got it. Right After a couple of, of, of instances where he's doubting, it looks like he's on track now. He's got it. He's believing. But then, just when you thought Abraham was back on track and willing to do what God was calling him to do, no matter how long it took, this happens in the very next chapter. 
Now, Sarai, Sarai and Sarah are the same person, and Abram and Abraham are the same person. Hopefully that does not confuse it. Abram's wife bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Right? So, so this is a common practice in the ancient world. I'm not able to have a child. I have a slave. So let's have a child through this slave. Now, you would think, given what just happened in chapter 15, that Abraham's response to his wife, Sarah, would be, no, 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 baby, I know. I know you want a child. I want a child too. I know you want this, but what we need to do is we need to wait. We need to be patient because God is going to give us what he promised. I mean, that makes sense, right? But that's not what he does. No, it says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And if he's listening to the voice of Sarah, he's not listening to the voice of God. Or Abraham clearly still has some doubts and so goes on and does this thing. And what this does is it caused nothing but trouble for everyone involved. If you've ever read the story, none of this works out for any of them very well. I mean, it's nothing but a whole bunch of drama. So again, you guys see these doubts. So it's, all right, so uh, yeah, yeah, I'm all on board. God, I got it, I got it. And then the next moment, what does he do? He doubts. How many of you um, might have experienced something like that in your own life? Okay. Abraham's human. Are you guys starting to see this? Very, very human. Now, my very favorite episode of Doubting Abraham comes in the very next chapter, chapter 17, where when God finally shows up to Abraham, this is the third time, to tell him, it's now time. Remember that promise I said that we're going to give you a child or I'm going to give you a child and do all that? Yeah, that's about to happen right now. Now, what you would expect Abraham to do in that moment is like, oh, it's finally happening. Yes, God said that he was going to do it. This is going to be amazing, right? That's how we think we would respond. But how does Abraham respond? Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Come on now. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, can a, can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Or Abraham's response to the creator of the universe telling him that, that it's time for this child to be born, for those of you who speak text, is R-O-F-L. Rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> because Abraham clearly has some serious doubts. Now, how many of you feel a little better about your own faith right now? Anybody? Yeah, isn't it amazing? Now, what I love about the Abraham story, besides everything else that it has to teach us, is that it puts into perspective that having doubts, having questions is not something that disqualifies us or even keeps us from being used by God to do great things in this world. What this story makes clear is that in spite of doubts and uncertainties we all may have from time to time, God can still use us. Or if God can use Abraham, and we didn't even go through all of his doubts, by the way, that's just a taste. If he can do that with all the questioning, all the doubts, and even Abraham laughing in God's face, and use him to change the world? Don't you think he might be able to do something with you? Don't you think he might be able to use you to do some incredible things in this world? 
Now, to, to push this even further, what you're going to find if you kind of delve into this idea of doubts and how God uses people who doubt is there's a whole bunch of examples. Abraham's not the only one. You're going to find it working throughout the whole Old Testament into the New Testament. It's there. And then another thing you're going to find is that almost every faithful Christian, both past and present, who has ever made an impact on the world has struggled with some kind of doubt. It's just the way it is. For example, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, whose brilliance shapes the way we think today. He spent most of his adult life wrestling with all sorts of doubt. Read his biography. It's fantastic. C.S. Lewis, an atheist turned uh, Christian, who then went on to write some of the most influential books regarding the Christian faith in the modern world, even after his conversion, had some pretty serious questions he continued to struggle with the rest of his life. Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, who's primarily remembered for her selfless service to the poor and sick in Calcutta because of her faith, right? She inspires us because of her faith. And a book of letters printed after her death revealed that through much of her life she struggled with doubt. And it's even the case that the late, great Billy Graham, right? The guy who went all over the world proclaiming to stadiums full of people to follow Jesus, to give your life to Christ. Yeah, even Billy Graham had times where he wrestled with all sorts of doubt. But just like with Abraham, it's clearly the case that God is really good at taking people who struggle with doubt, who have questions, who have some uncertainties, and using them to transform and save the world. In fact, it's all he's ever used when you begin to think about it. I mean, that's how amazing our God is. For some reason, we have this idea that you have to be perfect. You have to have it all figured out. You can't waver in anything. And that's the only people God will use. I don't know where we get that from. It's not there in the text. And what I want you to see is God is really good at taking imperfect people and using them to do amazing things, which means you don't have any excuses. God can use even you. Come on now. I don't understand you people. I really don't. This stuff is amazing. Right? God can use even you. But now to make you all a bit uncomfortable, let me push this a little further. Right? And this might be something you've never heard, but I want you to wrestle with it because I think you'll find it to be true. So what I would like to kind of propose is that based on Scripture based on the experience of many of the people that I've read for the past 2,000 years, based on my own um, experience, I would say that sometimes doubt is not necessarily a bad thing, but instead is the very thing that God uses to help us grow and develop as Christians. Again, you really need to hear that. Sometimes doubt is not necessarily a bad thing, but instead is the very thing that God uses to help us grow and develop as Christians. And to bring this to light, Timothy Keller says this. For those of you who know Timothy Keller, um, he's got some amazing stuff. And so he says this, and I think it really puts it in perspective. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely grow through life, too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts 
which should only be discarded after long reflection. So according to Keller and a whole lot of other Christians, the strongest form of faith is not actually that unwavering kind that never doubts or never questions anything. No! The strongest kind of faith is the one who has wrestled with doubt. The one who has faced those hard questions. The one who has had to deal with those hard situations and come out the other side. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Is that your experience too? Yeah, that's how we go deeper in our faith, or at least that's one of the ways that we go deeper in our faith. Okay, so, so now that we've laid all this out on the table, now we've kind of wrestled with this, I, I want to ask you guys a simple question. How many of you have ever had some doubts when it comes to your faith? I want all of you guys to hold up your hands and everybody look around. Yeah, it's not abnormal. It's, it's a part of it. We are human beings. And what I want you to understand, what I'm trying to drive home here is, even if there are some doubts, even if there are some questions, God can still use you to do great things. And even more than that, our God is so amazing as he can take those doubts and he can use them to help us become who he created us to be. Right? Because sometimes when we're facing doubts, we need to have doubts because they then cause us to change our mind. Or what happens when we doubt and we continue to wrestle is we find that, that what we believed in the first place is right and we believe it even more. So again, I would say, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be a person who hasn't wrestled with these things. Sometimes you just got to show up and God will use you in spite of who you are. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning so grateful for an opportunity again to worship, to hear, to wrestle. Um, and today it is my hope that people will start to understand that we really don't have to be perfect. We really don't have to be the kind of people who have it all figured out. We really don't have to be the kind of people who pretend that we don't have some questions, we don't have some doubts, but instead can be the people who are honest, instead can be the kind of people whom you use to transform the world and the kind of people that you are transforming to become the people you've called them to be. So today, oh Lord, help us to embrace this idea that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect for you to use us, for you to save us, for you to transform us. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.